0: Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. This is the foundation of the message today. I'm also going to end up in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to leave a marker there. And in Luke chapter 16. Acts chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 6. This is what we do. We give generously to spread the gospel graciously. We give generously it's why we give it's the it's the heart behind the habit is to build the kingdom of god not our own but we give generously to spread the gospel graciously hear me in our city our state our nation and to the uttermost parts of the earth they are all equally important because god is no respecter of persons So we give generously. We're going to transition a little bit this morning. We also trust God extravagantly. We don't just give generously, but in giving generously, we learn how to trust God extravagantly. Let me give you a biblical example of this. I didn't know this until just a few years ago, but David's offering, and actually I read about this in a great book by Dr. Brian Jarrett. We have a a friend of a friend of Dr. Brian Jarrett. He's the pastor of Sachse, uh, North Place. It used to be Sachse Assembly of God over in Texas in the southern Dallas area. Pastor Brian Jarrett wrote a book called Extravagance. And it's Believing in an Extravagant God. And in this book, he notes and resources that David's offering, the offering that David gave to the house of God, was more than any one man's net worth that is alive today. But that's simmer, The offering that David gave to the house of God was more. Not just the tithe like that he believed God would have required, the first 10% of the first fruit of his finances, which is where we learn how to give, I believe. But David gave an offering that was so extravagant it would exceed... The net worth of any one man who is alive today, his offering was greater. How was David able to give such an extravagant offering to the house of God? Because he believed it was more than mortar, because he believed it was more than decor. He believed that that place housed the presence of God for the sake of the people of God. So there was nothing that he wasn't willing to give. He was willing to give extravagantly and graciously to a God of extravagance and grace. He knew in whom he had put his trust. His help, provision, security, and substance came From the Lord. The reason that he was able to give generously, extravagantly, and joyfully is because he knew who he was giving it to a God of those same characteristics. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, In all things, Paul is saying this, by the way, the backstory. Luke wrote the book of Acts, it's a history of the early church the birth of the early church but he's recording some words of Paul the apostle right here in Acts chapter 20 verse 35 and Paul is saying in Luke's book in all things I have shown you that by working hard boy that's a new revelation for this day and age I'm not going there today but you know I want to working hard in this way I don't know why ministry is the only place that learned how to accept mediocrity and call it spirituality. I just, we accept mediocre when it comes to ministering to people and building the kingdom of God and then we call it spiritual because us four and no more are extremely well deep and founded in the Word of God. Well, if you're so founded, then why hadn't you won anybody to the gospel recently? I'm just saying, we're working hard. Paul, see, I didn't want to preach that. I just wanted to, and then now I'm back. In this way, we must help the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now here's what's interesting about that. As most of us are able to quote it, but very few of us actually operate in it. Myself included. This is a difficult passage. This was a difficult passage for the one who quoted it. Paul, the apostle was not always the way that he quoted as remembering Jesus' being. The interesting thing about this quote, it is more blessed to give than to receive, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, is that if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John meticulously, you will never see Jesus say this in those four Gospels. Well, what does that mean? It means that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't record it. But Luke decided to make sure that he included it in his history book. So it happened after Jesus had already ascended. Now, hypothetically, as a, as a theoretically, we can assume, we don't know this for a fact, okay, but we can assume that when Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on the road to Damascus, this was not the first time that he had seen that man. This was not the first time. See, Paul was actually, Saul of Tarsus, was of the Jewish elite in that day. He was actually positioned by Jewish elite to track down Christians and to oversee their execution or their martyrdom. Martyr being having given your life for the sake of what you believe. Paul Saul of Tarsus at that time oversaw these things. Now, he didn't receive that position in the 40 days that Jesus ascended into the heavens. He didn't receive that position in the 50 days of Pentecost. He had been walking in that position and growing in that position while Jesus was on earth. Jesus was walking the streets of Jerusalem... And Paul was being promoted, Saul of Tarsus was being promoted in Judaism. So it is likely, not biblical absolute, but at best a pretty good hypothesis, that Saul of Tarsus was actually standing in the presence of Jesus before he ever believed. That he was there with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That he was there with the disciples and yet he did not believe. He heard Jesus. He watched Jesus. He saw Jesus. But he was not willing to give up his promotion for his eternal position in Christ. And then all of a sudden, he has a divine encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And after having worked hard, not just assumed that it was going to happen, but worked hard in the ministry to help the weak, to share the gospel, to spread it graciously, he remembered the words of the one that he heard speak, even when he didn't believe yet. And Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive this goes against the american ideology it goes against the cultural norm it actually flies in the face of our pursuit of the american dream in the american dream we are supposed to accumulate in the american dream we are supposed to possess this is a dog eat dog world and if you want to be the best then you have to beat the best the american dream is about the promotion of self at the sake of others promotion of self at the stake of others but the gospel is about the promotion of others and the denial of self it flies in the face of American and Western ideology where we measure success by stuff come on don't let it get that heavy in here this morning. It's just another message. It's okay. Just because most of us are stuck in it, we're going to be free. It's okay. We're working through this. We measure success in stuff. Our wealth is success. Our home is success. Our land, our vehicle, our retirement, 401K, 403B, whatever kind of four you want to put in front of me, that's what we stake our faith in and as long as hang on hang on here with me today just buckle up we're gonna get through it as long as those things are secure then we're secure as long as those things are stable then we're stable as long as those things are healthy then we're just fine and we're okay the question that I have to ask myself is who do I want to teach my children about wealth Wall Street? Capital One? <laughs> the government? My Jesus. Come on, now, now look, I'm not being dishonorable. I'm just saying that's not my measure of success, okay? <laughs> like, or do I want God's word to be the standard by which I teach my children about wealth, riches, possession, land, money? Which do I want? Why do I take the first dollar of every 10 from my child? Well, shouldn't they hear from God on that? No, I don't need them to hear from God on that. I know what He said, and as far as they're concerned, I am God for them. And if they can't hear Him, I'll hear Him for them. I can just make them and teach them why later. That's my baby. I don't need them to hear from God on something He's already said. I'm the one that's been positioned in authority over them to make sure that they learn how to operate in obedience to what He's already instructed. Come on, somebody. I don't need to hear from Jesus. They need to acknowledge what they've already heard and operate in it, or I will help you. I want His Word to be the standard by which we measure success. I want His Word to be the standard by which we teach wealth. Now, my wife and I agree in a lot of things. When it comes to what we like to spend money on, there is a little discrepancy. Uh, just Sometimes boxes will show up at my house. I didn't know there was a box coming. And they seem to be like manna from heaven. They just multiply. We need that doormat that helps the UPS or FedEx guy say, "Please hide these boxes from my husband." That's what needs to be on our doormat. And we just we do math a little bit differently. You know, math is done a little bit differently. She sees twenty five percent off, and and that is obviously them wanting to get rid of something. You know, that's a steal for us. You know, I do the math, and I'm like, that's still a 40% markup. They could come on down, but 25% for her, that's a, that's a still of a deal. In fact, we'll spend $20 more, by we, I mean she, $20 more just to get free shipping. Come on, we just, I don't even need that, but I don't want to pay for shipping on it, so I'm going to get all this too, right? 50%, man, that's, that's like giving it away for free. That's like buy one, get one. If it's 50% off... Like, I could spend the other half on another one. They're wanting this stuff gone, baby, okay? 75% we're making money. I was like, I don't, I don't really know how that goes. And I, I'm going to confess that most of the things that I just said about her are actually me, okay? That's the, the point, though. <laughs> she buys a whole lot of stuff. I'll just buy one thing that costs more than all the stuff that she just bought. <laughs> hey, easy. Take it easy. Simmer down. Simmer down. Here's the point. Here's the point. The point is, there is a system of thought related to us being caught. There is a system of thought in this process that is related to us being caught up. And I believe there is even more than a system. I believe there is a spirit Because the Bible says the Spirit of God searches all things, even the deep things of God, and knows all things. So there is a knowing to this process. There is a thought to this process. It's more than a system, potentially a spirit, by which, if we're not careful, we give control in place of God. My question this morning, if you're taking notes, is number one, are we serving the system Are we serving the system? Are we serving the Spirit of God? But we want to evaluate whether we're truly serving the system or not. Did you know that the average American, the average, it's actually about 47,000. These numbers ebb and flow depending upon the year that they take these statistics. But the average American... Makes about fifty thousand dollars. That's not in Eunice. That's overall in the United States of America. In Eunice, it's about thirty. I've done that demographic study as well, and that's better than a bunch of other communities in the state of Louisiana too. So don't molly grub about it. It is what it is, and that's what we make. Makes about this number. Spends in a ratio approximately fifty, 000, eighty thousand dollars. If you make fifty, you spend about eighty, and then the average American that makes fifty spends eighty actually is loaned out or receives and borrows about $200,000 in a lifespan, in the span of a life. So I ask again, are we serving the system or are we serving God? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, many of you have heard this, but I, I want to bring a little bit of a different spin on it today. In the New King James Version, the Bible says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Which system are we being loyal to? Which one are we offended by? Are we offended by the system that we serve, or the system that we don't want to serve? Which system are we loyal, and which one do we despise? Because you cannot serve God and mammon. Now... A lot of versions will use an English word here that does not quite... It's not a bad definition, it just doesn't quite do this word justice. Some, definition, some versions will say you cannot serve both God and money. Okay, That's not the greatest translation of the word. It's not, a, it's not a bad definition, that's part of it. But it does not communicate the fullness of this word. Okay, This word, mammon, is an Aramaic word... And it is actually translated as riches, wealth, possession, accumulation. So, net worth is what it would be referring to. All of your possessions, everything that you have, possibly your gross income, along with all of your assets. We cannot serve both God and men because... The commandment still remains today that you shall have no other gods before me. He said, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods, little g, before me. In other words, you shall serve and find your security, your substance, and your identity in no one and no thing other than me. It doesn't mean that everything else is evil. It means that if that is what you find your identity in, and that is what you give security to, then that thing is not just an item, it's an idol. You with me? You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word that means riches. It goes way beyond money. It comes from the Syrian god of riches, which was originally a god, little g, god of Babylon. Uh, just a quick origin of Babylon. If you had the felt board in Sunday school, you know this. If uh, you grew up being forced to be in that class, and uh, then you caught this. But Babylon originated from the Tower of Babel. It was a tower that man tried to build apart from God. Man tried to build... To be like God, which is also, by the way, the sin that caused Lucifer to be kicked out of heaven. The abundance of trading, trying to glorify himself apart from God, find security in something besides God. So man did that in the Tower of Babel. They tried to take their wealth and accumulation and and build something apart from God. That's called the Tower of Babel. And the people that came out of that, the place came out of that, was called Babylon. And it actually defines itself, if you just say it really slowly, babble on. You know some people with this spirit. Sometimes this one gets on me and I get stuck a little bit. This is literally translated, Babylon is translated by definition, sown or planted in confusion. In what system of reality Can you borrow 50, spend 80, make 50, spend 80, and borrow 200? In what system can you be trillions of dollars in debt and growing every day and expect for that system to continue in stability? The only way that you could operate in that manner and think it's okay is if you are under the control of a spirit sown and planted in confusion and chaos. This is way more than a system. We have currently a system in this nation that is sown and planted. Not money, but mammon that rest on wealth the spirit of mammon that rest on wealth and accumulation that rest our identity and our substance and our security on our possessions and our stuff a bigger house a nicer vehicle finer clothes that person is successful and yet scripture says something different wealth can be a spiritual issue. I believe that wealth in and of itself is not evil. Money in and of itself is not evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So our wealth, money, possessions, either has the spirit of mammon on it, or... It has the Spirit of God. There is no, biblically, there is no in-between. Or Jesus would have listed them in this passage. But He said you cannot serve both God and riches. You'll have to make a choice. There will come a time in your walk with Me when you will have to designate the difference and choose which one you want to be obedient to. Many of us actually grew up in this system. And whether we realize it or not, we were actually looking up to mammon. We would say things, man, when I grow up, I want to have, man, if I could just possess, man, if I had a million dollars, man, if I could win the power, come on. Boy, what would I do with what they have? And we grew up in this system and we actually have taught our children that the standard of success is whether you adhere and are successful in this system. Because we're not growing up teaching, we're not teaching our children when you grow up, you are supposed to be whatever God has called you to be. And if He calls you to go live in a tent in India, then so be it. No, no, no. We want to produce doctors and lawyers and teachers. Ain't nobody in here said, if God calls you to be a garbage man, jump on the back of the truck and serve your city. That's <laughs> not what's happening. We grew up in this system. And we were taught and we teach our generations after us that this is the standard of success. In fact, this spirit, this mammon that we look up to and measure success by has even crept its way into the church. It's been called and referred to as the prosperity gospel. If you give this, you'll get this. If you'll sow this, God will do this. Now listen, I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. I believe that when I tithe the first 10%, God blesses the rest. He'll open up the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing I can't contain. But I don't define blessing dependent upon what God gives me in material possession. Did you get that? God's blessing is not dependent upon what you possess. Sometimes God's blessing is what doesn't possess you. Because He will battle the devourer on your behalf. You can test him in this. But growing up, this spirit has caught its way into the church. If you get a new car, if you give this, God will bless this. He will do this. And you can have a new Mercedes. You can have a new house. You can have a nice this. You can have a nice that. He'll provide you what you want. And that spirit has actually worked more pride into us worked more selfishness into us, and here's how we can tell. Because when things break, who do we blame? When our car messes up, who do we blame? So we don't give to get, we give to trust. In which system are we giving into? In which system are we trusting in? See, mammon, I believe, is a spirit that tries to take the place of God. Mammon, according to Jimmy Evans, the founder of Marriage Today, says mammon promises us the things that only God can give us. Mammon promises us the things that only God can give us security, significance, identity independence, power, freedom. Man, if I just had more money, then I wouldn't have to. Man, if I just had more money, then I could. Hold on. Is what you're able to do for the kingdom of God dependent upon how much material possession he gives to you? Or is it dependent upon who he created you to be? Because the last time I checked, the scripture doesn't say I can do all things as long as God gives me everything. I'm pretty sure it says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Wealth can have one of two spirits. Chris, don't you think you're being a little dramatic today? I mean, it's a spirit. Well... Let's, talk, let's look at it this way. Immaterial matter cannot speak. That chair has never spoken to me, not one time. This pulpit right here has never spoken to me, but this has. Because this has a spirit. And I have heard the voice of mammon. It goes like this Chris, you can't give that. You don't have it. It goes like this Chris, you can't afford to pick up one more missionary, you can't afford to sponsor one more kid. Mammon will begin to make me fearful where God wanted to make me faithful. Come on. Mammon will speak fear and selfishness and pride into Chris where God wanted to speak humility, surrender, and servanthood. We need to break the cycle. Wealth, when submitted to God, is used for the purposes of God, and it doesn't try to replace God. We need to break the cycle. Here's the cycle. Most of us think we're generous, but the average American only gives about 2% of their annual income to someone else, much less the house of God. Average And actually, those numbers go up the more money that an American makes. In other words, when an American makes six-figure income, which good for you. uh, When, but when the when somebody makes six figures a year, the average amount that they give actually goes down. This would go in line with a story that I heard John Maxwell tell one time when he was pastor in a church. He had a guy come to him that was making five hundred dollars a week and he was struggling. And so John Maxwell said, "Man, are you tithing? Are you giving back to God what He requires? Are you giving offerings? Are you being generous?" Or can God not trust you? can it you know? and so and, and he's i don't know, pastor, I just need you to pray, I need you to pray, help me and so John Maxwell prays for him and and this guy begins to build his business and other opportunities awaken sow and reap and you see these things take place and, and all of a sudden he comes back. He's making five thousand dollars a week, which is really cool. That's good for him. But now he's coming back and he's like, Pastor, I man, I, I've just I learned how to give like on the five hundred, but man, it's like the giving on five thousand is so much more. Like I'm giving so much money away right now. Like the percentages are the same, but the amount is extravagant, man. It's like excessive. I'm I'm having a hard time giving that much. Would you pray for me? So John Maxwell says, I laid hands on the man and I, I prayed, Lord I pray that you would help my brother go back to making $500 a week so that he would not see how much but trust you with what he has in Jesus' name. The guy's like, whoa! (laughs) That's his story. I've never done that to anybody. We need to break the cycle. See, we serve right now, we serve a cycle of scarcity. Here's how it goes God supplies, we consume. God supplies, we consume. So we pay all our bills. We go out to eat. We get all our food. We do everything that we need. We pay our insurance, our mortgage, our loans, our vehicles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. God supplies it. We consume it. And then we don't have enough. We lack. And then because we lack, we fear. And then the cycle starts over and we live paycheck to paycheck. Every American. Paycheck to paycheck. We consume. We lack. We fear. It's a cycle of scarcity. We're stuck in it because we're serving the wrong system. See, the truth is we're way more indebted to the American dream than we are to the kingdom of God. You want me to prove it? When was the last time you took out a loan to give an offering? When was the last time you took out a loan to buy a missionary a vehicle? When was the last time that we took out a loan to make sure that one of the 6,000 tribes have heard that one of the 2.2 billion people that are alive today had an opportunity to hear the gospel. Now this I know that's an extravagant example. And I don't even know that I want you to do that. If you do that, you need to have heard from God, not me. Don't blame me, I don't put that on me. But my question is, man, am I indebted to the American dream? Or am I indebted to my eternal destiny? See, the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Some people quote that the wrong way. They say where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But that's not the way it is. Because your treasure doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. In other words, your faith could follow your faithfulness if you would be faithful in this area specifically. In the area of wealth and accumulation. See, I'm not sharing this message with you because we're in need or I'm proud to pressure you into giving in an offering. That's not what this is about. This is about you breaking free, me breaking free from a spirit. I've been guilty of this. Like it's hard not to be when you're raised in this culture and in, in Western civilization. But at the end of the day, I'm not building the kingdom of Chris. I've been sent to build the kingdom of God. I'm nothing more than a vessel through which his provision flows. Which system are we serving? We need to break the cycle. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Well, Chris, you know, I just don't have a whole lot of this stuff. Okay, well, verse 10. You actually have more than you know. You're probably in the top 3% of the world. If you have a vehicle um, running water and electricity, you are in the top 3% of 7 billion people. So you actually have way more than you're giving yourself credit for. See, we we don't have poverty here. We have impoverished here. But we don't have poverty here. I've been to poverty where people live in trash piles and cover up with other people's garbage to try to stay warm. That's poverty. Okay? Which system are we serving? Luke chapter 16, verse 10 said, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. But he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, Temporary riches. Same word. It's only used four times in the New Testament. And one of the times is an echo of the other time that it's used in Matthew and Luke. They parallel it. But Jesus says if you have been faithful, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, then how in the world could he ever commit to your trust ministry? How in the world could he ever commit to your trust ministry? multitudes of people how in the world if you can't be faithful with five loaves and two fish then how in the world could he ever multiply it into a story of thousands of people being fed that's told for thousands of years in response unrighteous man being used to accomplish the righteousness of god in all mankind because when we learn how to be faithful with the temporary, faithful with unrighteous mammon, then we begin, to final point of the day, we begin to see what only God can do. See, when, when this becomes what we do, when we give generously to share the gospel graciously, when we trust God extravagantly, when we do this, as a second nature, it's just part of who we are. We're just generous. We just help people. We serve. We give, not to entitle or enable, but for the opportunity to share the gospel and make the real difference. Silver and gold, I might not have on me, but what I do have, you can have in the name of Jesus. Whatever it is, I want to be available so that God can have an opportunity to minister to that individual. And when this is what we do, we begin to see what only God could do. God supplies. See, where there was a system of scarcity and a cycle of scarcity, now we walk into a system of provision and a cycle of God's provision. God supplies. We don't consume. We give. First fruit. God supplies. We give because he's first priority. I love Miss Pampy's testimony from last week. One of the things that we had to pull out, just we weren't ready to show that part, was she actually said she was in a season of her life where she was serving God and she was saying, God, you're first. She said, no, I'm not. He, he's, yes, you are, Lord. And I don't, I don't, I'm not God, so I'm not arguing with Miss Pampy, but he, but he decided to have a moment. And so she came back and she's like, Lord, yeah, you're first, you're first. He said, no, I'm not. Because when, you, when I supply for you, you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. I'm actually fifth, Pampy. And she's like, Lord, I, I'm sorry. Oh, God's first in my house. God's first in my life, is he? Or do we do this and this and this and this? And then we include God. Is God a part of our process or is he the priority behind everything that we do? Which one? Because you cannot serve both. We have to pick. God supplies, we give. God multiplies. When we see God take our five loaves and two fish and multiply it to feed thousands, spiritually or physically, because God's not bound by either one, our faith grows. And then we give some more. We pick up another missionary. We don't just tithe, we give in an offering. We don't just give in an offering when somebody comes and provides us an opportunity. We'll spend stupid amounts. We'll give extravagantly to the kingdom of God. Because we believe and trust in an extravagant God who is faithful and just. Who has never left his righteous to be forsaken or his children begging bread. Who owns a cattle on a thousand hilltops and he can slay as many as he wants to and put them on our table when he needs to. That's what we believe. He, He gives... We give, God multiplies, and our faith grows, and we trust God extravagantly. Let me give you some examples, just tangible examples. Did you know that we give as a church? We give. Every offering we receive, we take the first 10% because we're not going to tell you to do something we're not willing to do ourselves. And by the way, oh, that's easy for you to spend other people's money. No, friend, that's my livelihood, that's my family. I got, I got the responsibility of seven staff members laying right here. And I just send it back out of the church, and I'm not allowed to touch it. I'm not allowed to spend it on our staff, our family, or our ministry. I put it in the missions fund. And if we go bankrupt, I ain't touching it because it ain't mine. The first 10% of every week, we put in the missions fund. And we give more. Hear this. I caught this last week. I was like, man, we give more every month than we were receiving in offerings when I first got here. Just get. We just send it out. Here it comes. Here you go. <laughs> Why? Because we're seeing God multiply. And our faith is growing. So we're not going to stop giving. We give more. Okay, God, well, this is fun. <laughs> I'm a vessel. You trust us. He sends us more people. We do more ministry. Let me give you an example. Let me show this uh, picture of this little boy. I can't tell you his name. I don't even want to leave the picture up very long. This little boy lives in Lafayette. Take the picture down. He lives in Lafayette. I got this letter from the Lafayette uh, Pregnancy Center that we support on a monthly basis as a church. We just send the money every month. When, and, and what they do with it is up to them. But a mother came in to their facility trying to decide whether she wanted to abort her baby, and that was him. He was at his athletic banquet receiving awards for his academic prowess. Athletic prowess. That mama partnered with Lafayette Pregnancy, Pregnancy Center, partnered with them. She's received a bachelor's degree, become married, and had two more baby girls. That boy has two little sisters, and they have a big brother because you gave. Crazy cool. Let me show you another picture. Uh, last year, we, were, we, we support missionaries all over Europe where millions of people are coming in and less than 1%. Of those are evangelical Christians. We pursue we support missionaries in the mountains of Peru sharing the gospel with people that have never heard it. Again, two point two billion people. I didn't know that that was even a thing, and then last year, I had an opportunity to meet one. We met this young mama in the hills of Kenya that had never heard the name of Jesus. There she is right there. She was herding sheep, her children were herding sheep. Our missionary, who will be here in two weeks by the way, Aaron DiMaggio, led us up into the mountains, and we began to share the gospel with this lady who had never heard the name of Jesus before. We shared a simple gospel presentation with her. We were able to lay hands on her. She prayed with us through an interpreter that we had given a fire. Bible to that you purchased <laughs> his name was Edwin we led her to Jesus in that moment she experienced the presence of God and we're still today about to send Aaron and Stephanie back to Kenya to, back, to reconnect with Edwin and these people possibly help us in Jesus name purchase them a side by side and a van to bring more teams in and go further into those hills to share the name of Jesus with more people because there are people who are living up in those mountains wondering if anybody cares Here's our, interp- our interpreter and our Kenyan pastor over here on your right. Our Kenyan pastor that we gave a fire Bible to and a congregation full of people are being ministered to because of. This is my one of my favorites. This is the school where we gave 700 Bibles out last year Aaron and Stephanie. 700 Bibles that those kids took home and began to share with their parents that they didn't have. We support eight college campuses in Chi Alpha across the state of Louisiana and some over on the other side of the world through missionaries and through support, not including those that we support overseas. We support eight right here at home. And I have a picture of an outreach that we helped a missionary with. He called and asked Pastor Jonathan Burris at LSU. This is at LSU. Go Tigers. At LSU, we, we bought... New Hope bought every piece of chicken and every waffle that they served. And that's the line full of students. Because students are hungry, okay? That's the line full of students receiving chicken and waffles that you purchased... And out of that night's outreach, they had a service where they had 207 students in attendance. Praise God for that. That's incredible. 34 of them received salvation, prayed a prayer of confession, confessed Jesus as Lord that night, and encountered God. And they are now in a discipleship process because God supplied, we gave, God multiplied, and our faith grew. One more picture. I know I'm going over, but this is too good not to share. This is from yesterday. Over 60 people, and we had, we had even more than that. We had over 70 people in our freedom groups this semester. Every one of those had a 4 or $5 book. You do the math. We, just, we give the book. The only thing they pay for is the conference and the t-shirt. They all come. That's why we're all wearing our freedom shirts today. And if you've never been through freedom, listen, this is not just for the addicted, okay? I mean, it, it's applicable. Don't get me wrong. This is for every believer. This is a discipleship process. This is a ministry Okay, freedom is not something that you experience. Freedom is someone that you become. In Christ, the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. That is who I become. And this is our picture from yesterday at the Freedom Conference at Crossroads. I'm so grateful for Crossroads and their support. But here's what I really love, and I hope this is okay. But mixed in that picture are some people from the Welcome House Shelter. And when I thought of this in my office on Thursday, I, I don't—I'm not doing it again right now. I'm not trying to make an emotional moment. But man, I just broke down because I can't believe what God is using this church to do. I, look, here it comes. I just—I look and I'm like, really? You trust us with that? And these—they they, they get in a van and they drive up here and they come to our services on Wednesdays and Sundays. Because we, we give every month, we give, we give to them significantly every month to support that ministry. And so these, these mothers and these men and these children that were without guidance and direction and wondering if anybody even cared, they started a freedom group at the Welcome House. How cool is that? <laughs> and they came with us to the conference. And they're part of our church. And God is doing ministry. See, when, when this becomes what you do... God supplies and you give and then you begin to see God multiply. Maybe it's not in your bank account, but whoever said this was about you? What if he just does it in eternity and you end up with nothing more than rags being buried in the grave with? You aren't going to take it with you anyways, but you're going to exchange those rags for a robe of righteousness and somebody's going to walk up to you and say, thank you. I'm here because you gave. That's what I'm living for. See when we live our life with open hands and we just become a vessel through which God's provision flows we begin to see God do what only he can Father I pray that you would help us this morning examine who are we serving which system are we serving who is really God in our lives are you first or fifth fourth, maybe even second. Lord, if you're not in your right place in our hearts, in our lives, in our wealth, in our riches, in our giving, may we make the adjustment. May every follower of Jesus make this examination, including myself, and determine, are we really all in? Are we indebted to our eternal destiny or to the American dream? It would help us to be obedient as you purpose in our hearts. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to hear the heart of this pastor this morning. I don't care if you give another dollar if you've never given Jesus your life. He wants you. You are the offering. He wants to forgive you, cleanse you, save you. Maybe you've done this before, but you've drifted away and you know that your life does not represent someone who has surrendered to Jesus, confessed him as Lord and placed him as Lord of their lives. First and only priority. If you're in the house this morning, we're going to pray in 30 seconds, a prayer of confession, just like we led that mama in Kenyon. And if you would like your name to be included in that prayer with nobody looking around, I want to invite you right where you sit to lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Today is the day. This is the day of my salvation. This is the day of my commitment, my recommitment, my surrender. Thank you. Anybody else? Lord, this is my day. This is my day. I surrender, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. Anybody else? Thank you. Come on church, I want to partner with those who have raised their hand and even those who really wanted to are just not quite confident enough. Today we're going to partner with you, unite our faith with yours. And we believe that if you will pray this prayer out loud, confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you can be saved. We believe in the simplicity and the power of a prayer of confession. Come on, let's say this out loud. Jesus, Forgive me for serving anything, anyone but you. Be first. Be my only. Take my life. Make it yours. Use me and my wealth to build your kingdom. Cleanse me. Save me. Forgive me. I believe you gave your life so that I could live. May I follow you with all of my heart for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.